knows to open up the first episode of Monster Kid Radio and Women in Horror Month with the song Evil Woman from the band Terror Waves? I don't know. I kind of like the song. It's from the EP also called Terror Waves. You can find them over at terrorwaves.bandcamp.com. The song appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, welcome to the show where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, Derek M. Cook, and I'm excited. This is a month that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Women in Horror Month, and I believe it's the sixth annual Women in Horror Month. You can find out all about Women in Horror Month over at womeninhorrormonth.com. It's where we celebrate the contribution of women to the horror genre. And this month on Monster Kid Radio, we're going to be celebrating women who have contributed to classic horror, classic sci-fi, classic monster movies, that sort of thing. I'm excited to get into this week's movie and this week's conversation with special guest Tracy Morris, returning to Monster Kid Radio, taking a short break from her duties over at Disney Indiana, which you can find at DisneyIndiana.com. She's joining me this week to talk about the movie Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, and then another movie I'm going to send a tease you a little bit at the end of that conversation. Before all that, though, MonsterKidRadio.net is where you can find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. There are links to everything here, like our live 365 internet radio station, where you can tune into anywhere if you can get online and listen to music and sounds from classic monster movies, a few trailers here and there. It's fun stuff. It's the kind of music that I listen to all day. You can also find a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help us out that way. Or you can join our Facebook group where people are talking about Monster Kid Radio and related topics between episodes. In fact, if you head over there right now, Alan Trump just posted a question. Hey, Monster Kid Radio folks, I have a hammer question for you. I recently read M.R. James's classic ghost story, Count Magnus. By coincidence, my wife and I just watched Brides of Dracula for the first time in quite a while. When the locks magically fall off the Lady Vampire's coffin, this is very similar to a scene in the story when the protagonist accidentally summons the sinister nobleman back from the grave. Does anyone know if Jimmy Sangster or one of the other writers was inspired by this famous story? Thanks. I don't know the answer to this. I haven't read enough MR James, but if you know the answer to this, head over to the Facebook group, join the group. I'll get you approved pretty quickly and let Alan know if he's on the right path here. We also have a Facebook page that you can like. As of right now, as of this recording, we have a total of 464 likes. We have a goal right now. End of February, we're looking to get 500 likes over on Facebook. So if you're a Facebook user, consider giving us a like if you haven't already done it. Also at our website, you can find our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail line set up at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have any comments about anything you hear on this episode of Monster Kid Radio or any previous episode, well, send it in and we'll address it on a future episode of the podcast. I'm eager to get to Tracy Morris. I think she's probably tired of waiting, talking about the attack of the 50-foot woman with her right after this. (laughs) Unchain yourself from this world. Join Richard Garland, Pamela Duncan, Alison Hayes in the weird world of the undead. Where a witch of a wench gives free play to her unbridled passions and jealousies. I could not tell you before, but now because I love thee, because I must help thee, 
I am a witch. Witch? <laughs> I am thy match, witch. You will make me a fine opponent. No, the unearthly horror of untimely death. Face burial alive by the unfrocked monk who makes merry jests while burying the undead. <laughs> Jack Spratt could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lean, and so betwixt the two of them, they licked the coffin clean. See the tortured undulations of the unwanted virgins. Experience the unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> the undead. imagination. Starring John Carradine, a mad menace to humanity, as the scientist possessed by a passion to remake people. Allison Hayes, the beauty slated to be his next victim. Now, my dear, tell me what's bothering you. I don't know, Doctor. I'm just frightened all the time. You mustn't be afraid, not of anything. I want you to have absolute confidence in me. Trust me implicitly. I have found out how now to add to the 16 existing glands a 17th. Artificially developed a new gland. What this gland does to this blonde beauty when it's electrolyted in her body is an experience and horror almost unbelievable. I was new and grace take the main road into town. Remember, stay in the shadows till you're clear of the house. about the classic monster movies the classic sci-fi and horror films so many of the monsters themselves are male you mean frankenstein's monster dracula the the gill man but there are a few female i'm going to call them monsters that pop up here and there one of the most iconic at least in terms of its poster is attack of the 50-foot woman and we're going to talk a little bit about that with Tracy Morris, one of the high muckety mucks from Disney Indiana, longtime friend of Monster Kid Radio, longer time friend of mine. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back on Monster Kid Radio, Derek. It's been a little while. How are you doing? Doing well. Keeping busy. Watching movies. <laughs> well, you know, busy doing something good then, right? Oh, yeah. And for Women in Horror Month... You know, we've talked about having you back on the show to talk about these particular films anyway, but it made sense, I thought, to talk about these movies this February, sort of. 
at least with Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, it's not as... But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, it's got an iconic movie poster. This poster, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen the poster, right? I mean, you know this poster. Yeah, it shows the uh, titular character straddling a, what, four-lane expressway. She's got one car in one hand. She's reaching down to another. She's got a little bikini top on and a short kind of sarong. Yeah, it, I love the poster. It's a great poster, and that seems right out of the movie, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. I, I wish yeah. the movie lived up to the poster. You know, this is how they marketed a lot of these movies. Well, they do it these days, too. But this movie's from 1958, and it was drive-in fare, and they had to do something to put butts in the seat to bring cars to the drive-in. And this poster makes the movie look really exciting. Mm-hmm. Makes it look exciting. <laughs> Again, I wish the movie lived up to the poster. a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman. She drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky a titanic monster whose fearsome touch became a frightful curse. You think I'm drunk, don't you? All of you! I'm not drunk! I'm not! You've got to believe me! Please. It was right in the middle of the highway, 30 feet tall! Once she's in the booby hatch... Throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. You'd make a wild driver, Harry. With 50 million bucks. What she saw was beyond belief until others, too, faced its hideous, uncontrollable menace. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. Well, let's talk a little bit about the movie itself. The movie, 1958, like I said, directed by Nathan Hertz, although we know him better here on Monster Kid Radio's Nathan Duran who did quite a bit of work with Harryhausen and a few other types of movies that we really like. He used a different name, though. He was a little, uh, do we want to say he was embarrassed about this movie? I kind of wonder if that's yeah. the case, that, that he realized this wasn't some of his better work. It definitely shows it seems quite a bit, and I don't know if it's aged as much as it probably could have. Uh, aged as well, as much as it probably could have. Uh, but yeah, I did read uh, somewhere online that he did use a slightly different name because it was a, a B-movie. Mm -hmm. It was something a little less than what he was wanting to be known for. I mean, he'd work with Harryhausen, for crying out loud. You work with Harryhausen, especially working with Harryhausen doing miniatures as large objects on screen, you want to kind of maintain that level of quality, and I didn't see that here. But You mentioned that this was made as a drive-in movie. It actually, the producer, Bernard Woolner, actually owned a set of drive-in theaters. Oh. So this was definitely um, 
like you said, drive-in fare. It feels like it. Yeah, yeah, of course, it was building on the other movies of that time period that had the, the size-changing humans, like Amazing Colossal Man and Incredible Shrinking Man. And When did Amazing Colossal Man come out? Do you know? 57. All right, so a year before this. Okay, so that was kind of a thing, although this is no Burt I. Gordon production, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're starting this not talking too highly about the film. <laughs> It's it has its good points. I think I think the actors did a good job with the material they were given. Well, the lead actors, yes. I think some of the secondary roles had some issues, but I think that yeah, the lead actors, Allison Hayes as the titular fifty foot woman, and Yvette Vickers. I thought she was great. I like Yvette Vickers quite a bit. Yeah, I thought she was a great actress. Yeah. The character, of course, you're not supposed to like her at all. No. She's the other woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nancy Archer, played by Allison Hayes, is, again, the main character. She comes off kind of, I think she's supposed to be a poor little rich girl. Mm-hmm. There is mention at some point of her losing her parents at an early age and having always been in the spotlight. And her husband, I think she just kind of married because she was supposed to be married. And although she claims to love him very, very much, there's not a lot of love in the relationship. It's not clear to me what she ever saw in him and why she loves him the way she says she does. Yeah, there is that unconditional affection she has for her husband, even though her husband's really kind of a... <laughs> he's not a very good husband. <laughs> no, he's. they allude to them having split before, presumably over a relationship with a woman. Mm-hmm. And I think the first time we see him in the film, he's cuddled up next to uh, Honey Parker, Yvette Vickers. Mm-hmm. And if they're not making out at that point, they soon will be, or she's she's snuggling on him. Yeah. Now, he, the husband, is you know Harry, played by William Hudson. I'd seen him in The Man Who Turned to Stone. Uh, he's done quite a bit of work, so I mean, and he's comfortable doing what he's doing. I thought he did just fine as well uh, as a performer, mm-hmm. uh, as an actor in the movie. Again, a little limited by the material, but you know, they really are doing the best that they possibly can with what they were given. Like I said, I did think some of the secondary characters, uh, the police officers, things like that. I kind of like the deputy. I like the deputy too. I feel like their reactions to some of the more outlandish things were a little not as outlandish as I wanted them to be. Yeah. You know, it's like the scientists are just going to stand in there watching a lot of things happening when the big mm-hmm. 50-foot woman is walking across the screen. But no, the deputy was great. I thought he was pretty fun. Uh, deputy Charlie, by Frank Chase, he was fun. He looked familiar, but I, I looked at his IMDP page and nothing kind of came to mind, but he looks like somebody I should recognize from somewhere else. Oh, yeah. Tons of television, especially in the 60s. So... He's got that kind of character actor face. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. You know, He was yep. fun. I liked him a lot. He was pretty good. And he was a hell of a dancer. Yes, he was. <laughs> he and Honey both. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so Nancy, you mentioned poor little rich girl, also known as the town drunk, I think. Everybody kind of knows that she's got yeah. some issues. And it's kind of alluded to, kind of mentioned that they allow her to get away with the antics that she gets away with because – well, because she's got all the money, she also pays the most taxes in town. The uh, sheriff even makes that explicit comment about, because yeah. the deputy says, why are we going out and investigating this thing she says she saw in the desert? Because she pays the most taxes in town. Yep. 
she's a little one note for the most part until I mean she's she's brought into the movie as kind of one note for me. But mm-hmm. then as the movie progresses, she does kind of develop into as rounded as a character she could be in the film. Right. Um but she does come in kind of flat, just like this snobbish kind of rich girl who wears the world's most exotic famous diamond as jewelry out and about not really thinking about what could happen to her what was it the heart of india is that what was the name it was yeah the star of india the star or heart of, of india, india or yeah. something yeah which really wasn't that attractive a piece of jewelry no i thought it was a little bit much to call it the most famous diamond in the world mm-hmm. or whatever yeah so, but she we first meet her yeah. as she's driving like a bat out of hell <laughs> out in the desert and this huge glowing sphere that has been referenced in the, the TV announcements we, the movie kicks off with and it drops down right in front of her. She starts screaming immediately, which kind of bothered me. It's like, okay, I can see being amazed by it, but just to start screaming your head off. Yeah. Yeah. Now, once the space giant comes out, okay, that that's <laughs> worth screaming about, and this huge, hairy hand reaches towards you. That's worth screaming about. She she runs away from the car. She can't get the car started again, runs away from it, and, and heads back to town. So the next time I consider screaming about anything, I'm going to consider, okay, is this space giant level? Do I need to go there? <laughs> <laughs> Better than or worse than a space giant? With a big rubber paper mache looking hand coming at me, yeah. But yeah, she freaks out and goes running back to town. Why was she driving so crazy to begin with? Because she was sick of her husband flirting with honey. So mm. she she left and was presumably driving home. It sounded like all three of them were out at Tony's club. And he was just starting to flirt with the Honey Parker just a little bit too much. Gotcha. So Nancy freaks out, runs out, and encounters the space giant coming out of the satellite, which... That was interesting, too, their choice of terminology for it. I guess they didn't want to call it a flying saucer because it's not saucer-shaped. It's it's circular. It's spherical. Mm-hmm. And it, it was consistent usage throughout the film, calling it a satellite. Right. And this was right after Sputnik happened. Mm-hmm. So the word satellite is in the popular lexicon. More so than I think like flying saucer than spaceship or whatever. So satellite gets used over and over and over again. It's not really a satellite. It's kind of just stationary on the ground. It's not quite what satellites do, but true. You know, it's a satellite with a space giant inside. So yeah, she finds it. She encounters it. She screams. She takes off again. She heads home, doesn't she? No, she heads no. back to town because she wants right. to, she wants to tell everybody about it. She eventually talks the sheriff and the deputy into coming back out to the desert with her to try to find it. They find no trace of it. It landed on the roadway, so it didn't leave any any marks. When the deputy asks why they're going out, oh, well, she saw a 30-foot giant. Oh, okay. No no reaction. Just, oh, mm-hmm. all right. I love the deputy. <laughs> I believe it's also here where somebody tells somebody else that they pulled one heck of a boner. Possibly. Yeah. So it's got this... Overlying layers of, I don't know, the sense of fun or funniness to it. Yeah, I think they were trying for a little bit of lighthearted elements that just kind of fell flat at times. It would have worked if Nancy wasn't screaming all the time, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She takes it to that dramatic urgency, that really over-the-top angry screaming all the time. If she hadn't gone that far, I could see this whole thing having kind of a lighthearted, kind of goofy, fun tone to it. 
Yeah, and the whole, hey, let's try to bump your wife off so you can get her money and we can go live happily ever after thing. That's not exactly lighthearted either. But that that subplot kind of gets dropped eventually, too, when they get found out that they've been having this affair, when Harry and Honey get caught, and Dr. Cushing, nice name, by the way, yes, when Dr. Cushing <laughs> finds out, of course, he spends the rest of the movie shaking his head, I would have never thought about that. I would have never thought Harry would do that. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. When they get found out, the whole let's bump off the wife subplot gets dropped. But, of course, at that point, she's also growing and growing and growing. So... I suppose, priorities. Oh, boy. This encounter that she has with the glowing satellite on the ground and the space giant that we don't get to... I don't think we get to see him full on until towards the end of the movie, right? We just see his hand uh, at the, the beginning. first encounter, we just see the hand. Yeah. Now, Nancy eventually talks her husband into coming back out to the desert and helping search for the flying satellite. <laughs> And I think that is that that that's the next day, isn't it? Because he when she once she goes back to town and tries to get the sheriff to come out and they can't find anything, they go back in and he he takes her home and puts her to bed. Right. Which was another kind of uncomfortable scene for me because he's treating his wife like a child. Yeah. And it's not you can tell it's not the first time he's had to do this either. Like we said, she is kind of known as the town drunk. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you can tell that he's he's used to and tired of taking care of her in this capacity. I haven't you know, watched this movie? I'll admit, I've this is the probably the first time I've watched the movie straight through. I've seen it on Mystery Science Theater three thousand before, but I really don't like any of the main characters. You know, they're tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, like I said, the actors did a good job, but the characters themselves, and I don't think they're meant to be likable people. I mean, Harry and Honey definitely aren't. No. But even Nancy, like I said, poor little rich girl, she's just not, I don't know, I just don't click with her. About the only character I really thought was a good guy, quote unquote, was the butler, Jess. Oh, now he's been with the family for years. Harry married into the rich family, and Jess, played by Ken Terrell, he's been with, I mean, she, he raised, helped raise her, basically, right? They say at one point that he was there when she was a child. Mm-hmm. He knows her really well. She wouldn't make this kind of thing up, that sort of thing. Right. And Ken Terrell has done a number of movies that are well relevant to what we do here you know, on Monster Kid Radio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's another one of these character actor types. Uh, I actually just watched The Indestructible Man the other day, and he's in that. So, and he worked with John Agar in The Brain from Planet Arrows. So, mm-hmm. definitely got some cred there. And I did like him, although he seems kind of dour faced the entire time, but again, I still liked him. Right. I still like the deputy quite a bit, too. I thought he was pretty likable, although he does kind of do what Harry tells him to do a little bit too much for being a good yeah. guy. Yeah, he takes bribes. Pretty darn easily. Yeah. Why, why, why don't you tell the sheriff you couldn't find me? I'm not here. I, you saw me leave. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, it's because he gets to dance with Honey, I guess, right? <laughs> She's a fun character, but yeah, definitely not someone you'd want to uh, spend a whole lot of time with. I don't think I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust her. <laughs> For what she's supposed to do, though, in, in the role she's supposed to play in this film, definitely this kind of femme fatalish kind of thing going on. I, I liked her quite a bit. Yeah, like I said, I, I liked the performance, but the character herself, I wouldn't trust her. Yeah, that's true. Further than I could so. throw her. Mm-hmm. 
So you've got all these things going on here. Nancy's encountered the spaceman or the satellite. She's been put to bed. Harry is continuing his plans with Honey. Uh, eventually, it comes out that they, well, they want to knock her off. I mean, at one mm-hmm. point, it seems like at the beginning of the movie, they're talking about getting her locked up, go to a sanitarium again, that sort of thing. But they do eventually come up with this plan, or at least Honey specifically comes up with this idea. Let's just bump her off. Mm-hmm. You get all the money. I get the diamond. Everything's good. Yeah. Sure. If not for that pesky space satellite, that's going to make Nancy start growing (laughs) (laughs) and growing and growing. That's another thing when we will, we'll get to it that I had issues with. Oh yeah. But Nancy ends up talking her husband, Harry into going out and searching the desert again. And she even agrees to, if they can't find it, she'll go back to the sanatorium. Then I must be crazy. I must be crazy. And they search and search and search, and they find it. And this is where we get the reveal of the space giant himself. <laughs> he comes out of the satellite, which if he's supposed to be a 30-foot giant and the satellite itself doesn't look much bigger than 40, 45 feet in diameter, how's he fit? It's, it's bigger on the inside. I guess. I guess. It's like the uh, TARDIS, huh? <laughs> sure. So Harry, to his credit, he does try to, you know, fire his pistol at, at the space giant. Oh, and I, I loved Nancy's response to seeing the satellite for the second time. She mm. is incredibly relieved. She is thrilled because it's there. It exists. It proves she's not crazy. She, she's walking up to, she's like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I, you're here. Basically, she's patting it and going, it's real. It's real. I'm not crazy. So she was happy to see it the second time until, sure. of course, the creepy space giant comes out. Yeah. They make reference later in the film to scratches on her neck. I did notice that, and we didn't really see a heck of a lot of that. What do you think happened to Nancy? What do you think the space giant did to her? Well, I, I think it's supposed to be implied that something really – um unwomanly happened to her i suppose <laughs> Again, I, I don't I, know i i didn't get that impression watching the film but doing a little bit of research yeah there's there's definite references to unwomanly? Rape. Really? yeah really unwomanly unwomanly yeah. what the hell does that even mean <laughs> you're the one that said that hey i it's three hours earlier where i am right now all right <laughs> but yeah she is she is assaulted by the space giant in some way and somehow he knows where she lives because he carries her back to the mansion and lays her on the roof of the pool house. But <laughs> important note here, Harry leaves her out there. Yeah, after after he fires the pistol at it, the gunfire has no effect on it. He's he's out of there. He takes off and he goes tearing back to the home and packing up stuff was he packing up her stuff packing up his stuff I'm not i got really the impression sure. he was packing up his stuff because he thought okay she's toast i'm out of here he goes he gets honey he's like let's leave did he grab the diamond or he still had it in his pocket didn't he he had taken it at one point and at i remember the night before because yeah. i remember him putting it in his pocket he kind of dangled it in front of honey at the at tony's yep yeah, and he does have an encounter with jess as he's trying to leave and, and mm-hmm. he's the one that calls the police right right and they right, show up at Honey's sees, Hotel. Yeah, Harry packing to leave, and he assumes correctly that Harry's done something or something has happened to Nancy, and Harry's getting while well, the getting's good. Now, when the police uh, do show up, that's they do find the diamond in his pocket, and 
nobody's arrested, but I wouldn't advise you to leave town anytime soon. Yep, and that's when they also find Nancy on the pool house. And she's delirious. And of course, best way to deal with women who are delirious is to sedate them. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad we still do that these days (laughs) medically. Oh, boy. A woman's crazy? Go ahead and put her under for a while. (laughs) Oh, man. So, but the doctor does also, that's where we get the comment on the scratches on her neck. And for some reason, he also thinks she's been exposed to radiation. No idea why he thinks so, but. He even says, you know, the radiation, you don't want to go up there. I never saw a Geiger counter. How did you tell this? How do you know? He's a doctor. He's a scientist. His last name is Cushing, so I guess that comes with a certain implied level of badassness. Not this guy. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Cushing is played by Roy Gordon, who did some Roger Corman work, The Wasp Woman, things like that, but also did some real serious film as well. (laughs) Wow. Uh, He did quite a bit of film and number of credits under his belt. But, yeah, he's one of the ones that just spends a lot of time just staring at the amazing things off screen. Mm Mm-hmm. So he brought his his nurse in along, and he makes a comment when to to set you know, for the sedative. Makes it make sure you don't give her any more than 0.75 or whatever. Right, there's a certain amount you can give her because you know a woman who's this big, you're gonna be able to know how much is too much. Well, she hasn't gotten big yet. I know. Harry overhears that, and you can almost see the little light bulb go over his head. Bing. Mm-hmm. You're only supposed to give her X. Well, what happens if I give her more than X? Mm. Yeah. And Honey's the one that pushes for it, yeah. Yep. And at this point, when he when he does try to uh, overdose her is when we find immediately she's, like, grown huge. It's like over, not even overnight, like in the, what, a couple hours? Nobody heard it. Nobody she's heard it. She's on the upper floor of the house. There's been no straining of the house or anything and, like that. Yeah, that was... That's what bothered me, because when you finally go up and you see there's like this arm that's, what, 15, probably 10, 15 foot long from Mm -hmm. elbow to tips of fingers. Yeah. Okay, if that's proportional, where's the rest of her gone? This is a big house. This must be a very big house. It's not that big. (laughs) No, not at all. Also, apparently, when her size grew, her vocabulary shrunk because i believe from this point on the only thing we ever hear her say again is harry 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 over and over. <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah. just a couple sentences worth yeah but if she's that big you're right that really bugged me too it was like but but we never even got an outside shot of the house did we i don't think we really have not any a, sense of scale not a full shot no. yeah this just just that set of stairs and mm-hmm. and of course you know when this happens we don't get her out of the broom that could be threatening her size. We don't try to move her or anything like that. We just chain her down and dope her up. Yep. Because that's the way you deal with hysterical females. So glad we still do that today. <laughs> well, the morphine they use to kind of sedate her doesn't really work. Uh, it's not enough for, who knows, Dr. Cushing blew the numbers. And they're not able to put her out for very long. No. But in the meanwhile, the sheriff and the butler are kind of looking around the property and they discover enormous footprints leading away from the mansion. Mm-hmm. So this is where you know, they're, they put together the story that Harry told them. And it's like, oh, the, the space giant must have brought her and went back to his flying satellite. So they follow the footprints it kills me that they're talking about it. So matter of factly, like nobody's yes. amazed by, 
you know, if this was a, a, an HP Lovecraft role playing game, everybody is making their sanity check. No problem. You know, <laughs> everybody <laughs> is like, Oh, it's a space giant. Oh, All right. Okay. Let's follow these giant footsteps. And <laughs> he, do, he does tell the deputy to get the riot gun. <laughs> well, at least it's just a large, yeah, a large rifle. <laughs> And what did you think of the sets of the town? There really wasn't much to it. <laughs> did it look like it was the stereotypical Old West yes. town? It kind of redressed a little bit to try to make it seem more contemporary. But yeah, it did feel very like the back lot where they were shooting westerns somewhere. Yeah. And I'm sure part of that was by design because they did recreate one of the houses for the 50 foot woman to trash, even though we only really see the roof of it getting torn up. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to go too far, which is too bad. Again, I wish that the movie delivered what the poster showed us because the poster, you know, it's a busy town she's in. She's got cars. She's swinging around left and right. You really don't get that level of destruction or level of town. No. In this. Like I said, there's their house, which was apparently some mansion in Beverly Hills that was vacant at the time, which is why they could do this, the shooting there. And then there's this little back lot that there's, there's Tony's, there's the Fleabag Motel that Honey's staying in, and there's the sheriff's. And I think those are the only three buildings you see. Well, and we don't even really see the outside of some of these buildings. I don't remember seeing the outside of the hotel. Do you? That's the, that's the first, place that nancy goes once she's oh that's right 50 foot woman because yep. she's looking for honey yep everybody knows apparently she's staying at the hotel mm-hmm. which would make me wonder why anyway i'm not going to go there <laughs> so jess and the sheriff again they're tracking the the footprints of the space giant back to the satellite <laughs> they go in everything seems proportioned to human size not 30 foot space giant size but human size Mm -hmm. they wander through and they find these large glass globes that have other pendants or diamonds hanging in them and there was some fun cinematography here you know i think this is probably where the most skilled camera work comes in i did like this sequence where the camera was being used that sort of thing because as each character would look into these big glass globes, their whole face would kind of become distorted, like you see in a funhouse mirror. Right. To fill the globe. And then they'd talk about, well, look at this here. There's her necklace. There's the Star of India. That must have been what the space giant was after. Which explains the scratches on her neck because he tore the necklace off her. Right. It's just, it's fun. It's not, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like jaw dropping, like, oh my gosh, look at the cinematography, but it's, this level of fun works in this scene. I, I think the most successfully. Yeah. And again, it's going back to that almost playful yeah. sense that they were trying for earlier and failed miserably at. Playful is a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to describe it. So they've kind of figured out why the space giant came down. He was looking for the gems for some reason. I don't know if, I don't remember if they say if it was like for powering the ship or why exactly, but obviously the, the giant's collecting bling for whatever reason. <laughs> it's all about the bling. All about the bling. So anyway, Space Giant comes back, Sheriff and Jess, they escape from him and and head back. I want there to be an attack of the 50-foot woman line of jewelry now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Would uh, it be sized to human size or sized for her? Well, we're talking about our budget here. It would have to be human size, probably child size. <laughs> yeah. Or just shiny glass. <laughs> so Nancy finally shakes off the sedation, and like like you mentioned earlier, she immediately starts screaming for Harry. Now, it wasn't clear to me whether she wanted him for comfort at first or if she as soon as she woke up, the first thing that was on her mind was revenge. Because he did leave her out in the desert. Yeah. I mean, the I mean, last that's, that's the last thing, thing she, she saw. Mm-hmm. So I'm just up and taking off. I'm out of here. The getting's good. Yep. Here's so, my excuse. Yep. So she escapes, tears off the roof of the mansion to escape and again, she by this time, she's the, the 50-foot woman, and she's wearing kind of a little strapless bikini top, or the, the bandeau style, where it basically is just a strap kind of covering her chest, and a little short sarong-type wrap around her waist, which we assume made out of bed sheets. Yeah, we don't spend a lot of time with that, but yeah, you can we can assume that they draped some things around her to help keep her decent. Mm-hmm. Apparently they did her hair too. Well, her hair color changed. <laughs> she was a brunette and then all of a sudden now she's blonde. So apparently growing that quickly bleaches your hair. Who knew? Yep. And she is heading to town. So there's shots of her against the backdrop of the country. Yeah, that's both the scenes of her and the space giant, the cinematography, they they didn't, I don't know if the processing failed or what exactly happened, but the scenes, they're they're see-through. They're transparent or translucent. And it's, with the space giant, I could buy it because maybe he's not really supposed to be 100% there. He's from another world. Yeah, Yeah, he's from another world. But, it's not totally in our dimension, but with her, it's like, oh, yeah, that's obviously a technical glitch. It's unfortunate because, you know, this is the era of Bert I. Gordon. This is the Colossal Man. This is, you know, Ray Harryhausen. So it is possible to pull this off believably. I mean, they had the technology. But apparently not for $89,000. Yeah, they didn't have the budget, which is too bad because mm-hmm. this is where the movie really could have some iconic images that live up to the poster potentially. Right. But it just is so transparent. It's so distracting. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I think Alison Hayes did a good job with this portion of the role. Her face is just a mask of unemotion. She just, she's striding almost majestically across the countryside. She is a woman on a mission. Mm -hmm. So she goes to town. First thing she does is goes to the hotel, looks down, reaches through the window, right into Honey's room. It's like, how did she know which room? And we know it's Honey's room because we saw Harry interacting with Honey before when they were both trying to leave town. Mm -hmm. Honey's not in there. She's downstairs dancing up a storm with the deputy and Harry. So that's Nancy's next stop is Tony's. And she... Rips off the roof of the bar. She sees Harry. She sees Honey. And here's her moment of revenge. She drops a ceiling beam on Honey. Oh, Honey. Oh, Honey. Now, Honey was really about the only smart person in that scene. You know, when they start hearing the building 
shaking. She must have be a California native because she knew head under the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone she- else is just kind of milling about you know, kind of panicking, and she's screaming her full head off, but she also dives under the table. Mm-hmm. She does hide under the table. Now, Harry is drunk, mm-hmm. so, you know, whatever. But, honey, yeah, you're right. That adrenaline kicks in, the panic, and she knows exactly what to do. <laughs> Duck and cover, her. man. Yep. <laughs> yeah, didn't, no, yeah, didn't quite help, because, again, ceiling beam came down. Splatted her. And Harry, you know, he knows he's probably the next victim, so he grabs the gun out of, out of Deputy Charlie's hand, begins shooting... Doesn't do any good. She picks him up and carries him away. She ends up walking near a electric tower. <laughs> and the sheriff fires his riot gun, which, again, we're never quite clear exactly what that means. But somehow that causes that transformer to blow up, takes out Nancy. And, of course, Harry's also already dead. Because it's not quite clear whether she killed Harry beforehand i mean when she's picking him up he does say you're squeezing don't squeeze yeah i got the impression that he got crushed yeah and just crushed him so if, if it wasn't her squeezing that killed him it was the fall when she collapsed that right did him in. and everything's just kind of tied up with a neat little bow she's gone harry's dealt with honey's dealt with um, Roll what credits. A, yeah what about the satellite oh the satellite that just kind of oh well we don't know if it like hung around. We don't know if they went out to search for it. But yeah, that that would that's kind of the climax of the movie. All the everyone, yeah. you know, the the bad people got what they deserved, and of course Nancy couldn't survive because you know she killed her husband, she killed Honey. So retribution says. Yeah, she's got to. And production code too. says she's got to die too. <laughs> Good point. Oh boy. Overall. It had been a long time since I'd seen this movie. And you and I talked off mic yesterday, actually, briefly about this, too. I think. Was it yesterday? Either way. Mm -hmm. We talked briefly about this. And it's been a long time since I'd seen this film. And I remember it being a little bigger and grander than it was. I agree. Again, I've, I've seen it more in the Mystery Science Theater format than in and of itself. But yeah, I remembered there being more than just the little, what, five minutes of yeah. Big Nancy at the end. <laughs> Big Nancy. Yeah, no, I agree. I remember it being just, I don't know why, but I remember, and, and I don't remember it being as translucent. I don't remember the Big Nancy looking mm-hmm. like they needed a little bit more time on the budget or on the schedule for yeah. special effects. Yeah, I think I was conflating it somewhat with Amazing Colossal Man, where they actually have conversations with him as he's getting larger and he's you know i don't want this to happen to me what's going on whereas with her nope we got to keep her sedated and then when she does finally awaken there's no reasoning with her she's just i'm out of here i gotta go get harry gotta exact my revenge the last time i saw this was back in uh, the early 90s and i remember uh, it was the first time i had seen it actually because i watched it because HBO released a remake of the movie. <laughs> yeah, we, I didn't know if you wanted to uh, make well, any reference to those or not. Yeah, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman in 1993, directed by Christopher Guest, of all people, mm-hmm. featuring Daryl Hannah in the 50-Foot Woman role, and Daniel Baldwin as Harry. I think I might have caught bits and pieces of it, but yeah. All I remember, outside of the, the general 
you know, 50 foot woman, whatever, is at one point, Nancy tells Harry that she's a woman with needs. Why don't you want to be with me instead of honey? But of course, at this point, she's 50 foot tall. So Harry responds, well, what do you want me to do? Get a scuba suit and dive in? So yeah. um, that's all I remember about that. <laughs> yeah. That now that you mentioned that, I kind of remember that too. And there is a, um, <laughs> oh, God. Fred Olin Ray made a parody called The Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfold. Mm-hmm. There's also The Attack of the 50-Foot Cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Roger Corman. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a catchy title. It is. And the concept isn't awful. The poster is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But again, the script, just not quite there. There's, there's not enough of the 50-Foot Woman. Agreed. So the two women in this film, the two lead women, Alison Hayes and Yvette Vickers, since it is Women in Horror Month, just want to talk about them briefly. Alison Hayes is probably best known to people like us for this film, although she did have a serious career as well. Uh, she did do some work for Universal at the very beginning of her career. She did appear in one of the Francis the Talking Mules movies. She did appear with Tor Johnson in a film, but she also did some other films as well, and even appeared in a film with Elvis Presley at one point. She was Miss Washington, D.C. in 1949. Ah, yes, yeah, she's um, a beautiful woman, and I liked her her portrayal here. I thought it was interesting that once she became large again, kind of that, that regal beauty. Yes. She carried that well. She did. Now, Corman at one point was going to cast her in The Last Woman on Earth, another one of his films from this era, but, mm-hmm. you know, cast somebody else. This ended up being kind of the big movie that she did for his group. So, yeah, I found um, an interview with Ms. Vickers mm-hmm. in on in, through Google Books in Return of the Bee Science Fiction and Horror Heroes, the mutant melding of two interviews. Now, that's uh, by Tom Weaver, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Where he asked her, how did you become involved in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman? Ms. Vickers says, I'd started working a lot in television. Most of the time, I didn't have to go out on interviews for work anymore. I'd been established. So they called my agency and asked for me, and we accepted. Of course, I love the idea of playing this vamp, this tramp, this shameless hussy. And I still do. <laughs> I think those are the fun parts. And she also recognized Allison Hayes. This, since this was Ms. Vickers' first real big role, she said, Allison Hayes helped me a lot. It was my first really large role. So I was a little insecure, used to go to her for advice. She gave me tips on how to behave on set. She was very, very helpful. Mm. So it's nice that the two women work together well behind the scenes, even though they're obviously <laughs> enemies on screen. True. Now, I think I mentioned at the top of this, she was also an attack of the giant leeches. Uh, which is a fun little movie. I, I kind of enjoyed that one. It's actually one of the first non-universal monster movies that I saw when I was able to start buying VHS tapes on my own, that sort of thing. So I do have a fondness for that movie and her role in that. She was a Playmate of the Month in 1959, which mm-hmm. I'm sure could have really helped sales of this film. Yeah, now that you mention that. Unfortunately, she's also the person who, in 2011, her body was found in her home. Oh. And they believed that her body had been there for about a year. She'd been dead for about a year when she was found. Mm. Mm. So she was one of these people that you know, people just stopped paying attention to, that sort of thing, which is unfortunate. I've seen an interview with her on it was Cult Movies TV, and I should have dug it out, actually, in preparation for this. 
she seemed like she had fond memories of working on these kinds of movies. Yeah, she did a little bit later on talked about working with William Hudson and she said he was fun. I think he's probably the only one that knew that 50 foot woman was camp. Yeah. Most of us were playing it straight, but he had a little bit of a tongue in cheek attitude. Yeah. I mean, she seems to have fond memories of it. She seems to be fun, you know, just laid back. I like her. I like her character a lot in this and I like her in giant leeches as well. So when I walk away from this movie, even though Alison Hayes is the one on the poster, I have more strong associations and memories of Honey Parker. They did have a little bit of a close shave during the scene Mm -hmm. where her death scene, basically, all the lumber was falling on her and such. And she says, as soon as the scene was over, one of the prop men came up to me and said, don't move. I looked around slowly and there was a board with a nail through it right next to my ear. I was watching for that. I knew about that. And this time around, I was watching for it. I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. I don't think we get a close enough shot of her to make that mm-hmm. make that stand out. But um, it might have been a different take too. Who knows? But true. Yeah, when I had read that, I didn't know that going into it the first time I saw it back in the nineties. But when I had mm-hmm. read that this time around, you know, for being such a low budget movie, you know, not having a lot of safeguards in place or stunt right. people available or whatever. And they sipped through this film too. I mean, they came in under budget for crying out loud, so they really cut a lot of corners. Yeah, and I think it was filmed with, I think I read somewhere like eight days. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine a monster movie being filmed in eight days today. There's people doing it. Well, yeah, that's true. Talk to Winorski. (laughs) That's a good point. That's a good point. Who was also considering a remake of this film at some point. Have you seen any of the other ones, uh, 60 Foot Centerfold or Cheerleader or whatever? I might have caught bits and pieces. (laughs) I might have caught bits and pieces, but yeah. You know, documentaries about, I've seen, I think I've seen a Fred Olin Ray documentary and caught parts of that. Because we know your husband probably has. Wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) You hear that, Scott? Throwing you under the bus. (laughs) So do we want to talk about special effects? Sure. The lack thereof. We already mentioned the unfortunate compositing of the large characters against the background and all you really ever see of Big Nancy, as other than the those shots, is a hand. Sometimes it works quickly, but then it starts to jiggle. Yeah, it's like there were at least two different versions of it. There was one that looked very stiff, like it was made of paper mache. Mm-hmm. And there's another one that almost looked inflatable, because that's the one that kind of, <laughs> like you said, it kind of jiggles. Yeah. And then it's the exact same hand, which does look like a woman's hand. It's got slimmer hand and slimmer fingers that had hair pasted all over it and used for the space giant's hand. <laughs> yep. So obviously the same prop. Yeah. Yeah. That 89,000 just didn't stretch real far when it came to the budget. It's a shame. I feel like the concept is solid and. I don't know if there's anything to be read into this film, you know, being afraid of women, you know, it's the late 50s. Oh, and- I found a <laughs> bunch. Uh, again, I did a Google book search and I found a good half dozen articles discussing the a feminist take on this. Most of them, it's like kind of like, really? Let me just dig dig one or two of them up here. Oh, this is the one I liked. It's from a book called Why We Fought America's Wars in Film and History. Oh, wow. Okay. But it says it 
The attack of the 50-foot woman exploited the link that already existed between technology and the feminine, featuring females made powerful and monstrous by science. These characters are the science fiction equivalents of the vamp, or female vampires, that have sucked men dry physically, financially, or morally for centuries on stage and in literature. Oh, wow. When was that book released? Yeah, it's called Why We Fought, America's Wars in Film and History, 2008, Peter Rollins. Wow, 2008. Mm-hmm. The way you read that makes it sound like something that would have been published like in the 60s, you know, this kind of, ugh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Dig up another. There was another one that compared. Oh, here we go. The Incredible Shrinking Man and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman illustrate, for example, how containment anxieties were integrated into the bodily paradigm. This is from a book called These Days of Large Things, The Culture of Size in America by Michael Tavel Clark. Wow. Some, some interesting I mean, one of the things that I love about these movies, I've said this before, and I'm sure people are getting tired of me saying it, is when you watch a movie from this era, especially you know a, a genre film where things can kind of be hidden beneath the surface, you do get to see you know, societal norms and how oh, yeah. things were you know back then. And you know, obviously, these things don't come out of the blue. These movies aren't generated out of the ether. There is some thought, some influence on what's going on in the world on the filmmakers, whether they consciously acknowledge it or not. Mm-hmm. And what I said earlier, I don't know if you can see any, you know, I was just kind of setting you up. I mean, I, I know <laughs> <laughs> there is, you know, the fear of the female empowerment and all that. You know, it's pretty obvious when you watch something like this, when you watch the remake in 93, I don't see it nearly as much, but when you watch something like this, of course you can see that happening here. And it's no coincidence. I think that honey Parker is the one that's, I believe more dastardly than Harry. Oh yeah. You know, Harry just, is a philanderer, you know, he's weak-willed. And I think Nancy even refers to him at one point as a gigolo. That's right. When your own wife is calling you a gigolo, you might want to take a second look at your, your personality flaws. Just a little bit. Just a bit. I read a lot of science fiction, especially, you know, period science fiction, and it's always interesting to see how things that ostensibly are occurring in the future are so much a reflection of the time in which they were written. And yeah. I think that's a good, this is a movie is a good example of that in terms of the roles of women. How do you deal with a woman who thinks she's seeing something? Well, you dope her up. Right. You know, she might have radiation sickness. Oh, well, don't bother taking her to a, a hospital or anything. She's rich. Oh, we can afford to bring in the doctors who will chain her up. Yeah. <laughs> Give her morphine. Give her morphine and chain her up. Interesting movie. I don't know if it holds up to a lot of repeated viewing. And to bring it back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of all this, the poster is iconic. The poster appears mm -hmm. on a number of top 10, top 25 best movie poster lists. With good reason. I mean, it's a great looking poster. There is an article on the TCM website about Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. So oh, yeah? it did, did, did rank that. You know, it talks a little bit about Nathan Joran. Who's capable of good work? I mean, I know we're kind of, you know, poo-pooing the movie a little bit. But Joran, he worked with Harryhausen, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. You know, 20 Million Miles to Earth. I mean, that's a classic. One of the producers, Jacques Marquette. Mm-hmm. Also found uh, an interview with him, and he's known for he's got some important movies in his background as well. 
And I think he wanted to get involved in this just to kind of stretch his boundaries a little bit. I get the feeling that he was more than kind of a producer in this. I think he was also the cinematographer, but he had some interesting things to say. And again, another Tom Weaver book, Double Feature Creature Attack. Yeah, the optical effect with Allison Hayes. And he mentions that they, it didn't come out as well as they wanted it to. I don't see that happening today, that an effect fails so spectacularly that mm-hmm. they just put it out anyway. Yeah, well, they yeah they didn't have time or money to redo yeah. it. so That's true. And like I said, I, I could forgive it for the space giant. You know, he's not of our dimension. Right. But the woman with... You know, with Allison Hayes, I, I feel like it just should have, could have worked a lot better. I don't understand what they were thinking. I don't get it. I mean, I know they didn't have green screen technology back then, but could they not have just matted something behind her? and have- Well, it says that we had to shoot her separately on a stage covered with black velvet. We had to light her so she was totally lit all over because any place there was a shadow, the background information would bleed through. Which might explain why they lightened up her hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even happening. think about that. Yeah. That makes perfect sense that they had to make her blonde because brunette wouldn't have, uh, it would have blended in too much with the velvet. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, iconic movie poster. So are we recommending the movie to the MKR listeners if they haven't seen it? I think it's worth a watch. I think going into it, knowing where its shortcomings are, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) is probably okay. But yeah, I still think it's worth a watch. It's fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. And I like Yvette Vickers a lot. I, I liked both the leading women actresses, even if I didn't like their characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. The characters are pretty terrible. There, there's The only likable guy here is Jess, and he never cracks a smile. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, and the deputy. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. The deputy. He's <laughs> heck of a dancer. But, yeah, it would, I'd kind of like to rewatch this with maybe The Amazing Colossal Man. That'd be a good double Do feature. Do a little double feature, which is really a much better film, in my opinion. But again, I still think it's an important film Mm -hmm. in terms of just the legacy of these low-budget movies. I think it's important. Well, as you can tell, Tracy and I weren't overly hot on this movie. I mean, it's got some really interesting things going on. Again, the poster, it's iconic, but we wanted to end on a positive note. Tracy recommended we watch a different movie and talk about that. And that's what you're going to hear in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio when we talk about the 1956 film, It Conquered the World. And bear with us. It is relevant to Women in Horror Month. I promise. That'll be happening here in a couple of days. Big thanks to Tracy for taking the time to talk to us about Attack of the 50-Foot Woman and It Conquered the World. It'd been too long since we'd had her on the show. So I really appreciate her making that happen and working with our schedule. If you want to hear more Tracy, again, head over to DisneyIndiana.com where you can listen to her and her co-host and my frequent co-host on other shows, Scott Morris, talk about all things Disney. You can find a link to them over at MonsterKidRadio.net. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up and get ready to talk about It Conquered the World here in a couple of days with Tracy. In the meantime, remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Evil Woman. That belongs to the band Terror Waves. You can find it on their self-titled EP, which you can find at terrorwaves.bandcamp.com. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, talk to everybody here in a couple of days. 